The aim of the Folklore Podcast is to bring quality folklore discussion and world-class guests to its audience completely free of charge. As such, we do not carry adverts and do not accept sponsorship. You tell us you prefer it this way. In return, we rely on your support to continue making episodes of the podcast. Without it, we cannot keep going. If you enjoy the Folklore Podcast, please consider clicking the donate button at thefolklorepodcast.com or signing up for a small monthly contribution in return for exclusive content and rewards at www.patreon.com slash thefolklorepodcast. If you cannot help in this way, please share our episodes on social media and leave positive reviews for the podcast in your app of choice. It is greatly appreciated. Thank you. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the Folklore Podcast. I'm Mark Norman, folklore researcher and author. This episode of the podcast is the first of a double bill looking at the country of Iceland and its folklore through the lenses of two popular authors writing in different genres. The Nordic island country of Iceland is the most sparsely populated of all the European countries possibly due to its often harsh and yet beautiful landscape. Ancient texts tell us that the land was settled in the 9th century AD. Since that time, Icelanders have told each other stories and woven together a lore which is, like the land itself, often rather dark and bleak compared to that in other places. For the first of my guests, this makes Icelandic folklore a perfect complement to her fiction. Eirsa Sigurdardottir was called the Queen of Scandi Crime in the national press recently. She was born in Iceland in 1963 and is the number one Icelandic crime fiction writer, winning various awards for her work. Her first novel, Last Rituals, was published in 2005 and she has since written a number of standalone thrillers which have been translated into 30 languages. Ersa also writes stories for children, as well as working as a civil engineer. She joined me via Skype to talk about her memories of Icelandic folklore as a child, and the ways in which she incorporates it into her crime fiction. Now, establishing a good connection with Iceland to record this interview was one of the more challenging calls I've placed, but I hope that the quality is not too bad for you. Here's my interview with Ersa Sigurdardottir. Can we start, if if you if you can, by just um, telling us a little bit about um, your books and your writing uh, and what sort of style you like to write in? Yes. Uh... I like to, basically, I, I like to write uh, like most others, 
books that I somehow think I would like to read as a reader. And I like uh, crime fiction, and I also like horror. And sometimes this, this uh, appreciation, I guess you would say, of horror creeps into the crime novels without being horror novels, you know. But I like to write uh, scenes where things are tense and dark. Yes, I, I've noticed that from from reading your books that um, the, there is a very dark element to them. And I, I think maybe Scandinavian um, and Nordic crime is, is naturally quite dark anyway, but you, you certainly use um, your own Icelandic culture to great effect. Now, Iceland, of course, has, has a wonderful dark folklore anyway, um, what what do you particularly remember of the Icelandic folklore growing up as a child there? Oh, um, ghost stories, for one, because it's quite common here to tell children ghost stories and scare them a little bit. <laughs> so I remember that. And I remember also <clears throat> very vividly, and, and I've kept this is a tradition that I think will live because I, I told my children this uh, story as well. And it's about a troll woman called Grilla. And she's the mother of the Santa Clauses. It's a bit uh, dysfunctional, but uh, so there's this horrible troll called Grilla. And she takes children and she boils them alive and eats them. But she doesn't like the taste of children that are that behave well. She only likes the taste of children that are naughty. <laughs> so it's a very effective tool to get small children to behave. Yes, they don't it's... listen to you, then you say, oh, well, then you're going to end up in Grilla's pot. It's interesting, so, so isn't this... it? Yeah. And it, it's really effective until they realize, you know, it's not uh, not, not going to happen. And then you have to find another way to discipline or, or bring up your kids. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. I, I mean, I guess, I guess we have similar things over here. You know, I mean, our our Christmas traditions um, are, are very much along similar lines. But but for us, it's just the case of if you're naughty, then you don't get nice gifts. Uh, if you're good, then you do get nice gifts. Where, of course, um, in in Iceland, you're lucky to survive if you if you're bad yeah, at Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. And we have a. So, so this Grilla person, she's married to another tall guy who's called Lefaluzi, and he's like a lazy bum. I don't know, he's always in bed doing nothing. And But they have these uh, 13 sons, and they are the Santa Clauses. They will come to town 13 days before Christmas, and, you, and kids will put their shoe in the window, and then there'll be something like small, small gifts in the shoe. Like this, and they come in a certain order, and they will leave something for the kid in, in the shoe. So this is like on the in the lead up to Christmas. Excellent. And so this is probably why Grilla and and these um, and, and all of these uh, characters have lived because they they connect to like a very big existing holiday, which is Christmas. Yes, and we do find, don't we, that uh, at particular important times of the year you do find these characters um coming up now yeah. 
your as you say your your crime novels are are particularly dark and and uh do cross over into the horror genre perhaps more than some other people's do so were there particular aspects of of the folklore in your country which inspired you to take that route with your writing yeah i think so i i, I mean i think it relates to childhood in a way where you know i, I learned to love these ghost stories and um sort of the the macabre and the, the horrible or, or you know they're appealing to kids at least they were to me um and i think because it's given it's quite at least when i was growing up it's quite it was not frowned upon to, to, to do this, to tell, tell kids these things. And, and, for example, there's one more Christmas thing that I need to mention, which is I don't think this would be in any other country than Iceland, but there's another Christmas character called the Christmas Cat. And this is such a horrible, you know, I, I often think, like, who came up with this horrible thing? Because it's a cat, and, and it comes before Christmas, and it would lurk around the farms in the old days, and it would take and eat the children that didn't get new clothes. Not clean clothes, new clothes. So so, so it was after the poor children, which is kind of kind of awful. It is. There's nothing it? you can do to prevent it eating you, because if you're poor and you don't have new clothes, it's going to come and kill you. Yeah, I'm not sure if any other country has this, but uh, I don't recommend it. It's not a nice... <laughs> a nice one. <laughs> I'm not aware of it anywhere else. Do, do do you have any idea what the origins may be for that story? No, I don't. I think it was. I think I read somewhere that it had to do with the farmers that had poor. I mean, sometimes there would be poor children that the parents couldn't keep them. They'd be put to to these various farms to work and and just live. And uh, and I think it was to sort of force these farmers to make sure that these kids were treated nicely, you know, at Christmas. I I think I read that somewhere, but but I'm not 100% sure. It's it's a bit it's a bizarre it's a pretty bizarre uh, folktale, I guess. It it is. But it's... all of our yeah, but most of our folklore is either like originates or, or, or is related to the folklore in Scandinavia and and Ireland. Because that's where sort of the Icelandic population comes from. Yes, I suppose it's that um, emigration and immigration between those countries, isn't it, that means that the stories travel with those people? Yeah. So we have like the 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 child that will be like the changeling and, and we have very similar things to Ireland. The elves and all this stuff. So so it's coming it's just the same uh, uh I think the origins of the of the the folklore here might be in the same um percentage as our DNA is Irish and, and, and uh and Norwegian. Yes, that would make sense, wouldn't it? Because because fairy folklore is uh, and and the elves and and as you say are are a very big part of Icelandic lore, and of course they are a very big part of Irish folklore also. Yeah. Uh, now the fir the first of your um, books, um, Last Rituals, the first the first of your crime 
books, the uh, Tora Goodman's dot here books, and I do apologise for my Icelandic pronunciation. It's fine. Um, that that draws on um, that draws on witch hunt traditions as part of its plot. So so were the witch hunts a very big part of Icelandic history as they were in Europe? Well, yes. I mean, there were so few people here. It was kind of a small... Uh, the thing is, when I wrote that book, I wanted to have some sort of historical angle to the book. And I, I got these... Uh, I, I went and got... We have these books where, like, concise history of Iceland where you can just quickly go through what's happened. And, and really, there was not much of interest happening that was interesting in a crime novel today so so the only thing that i found or the one of the few things that i found that i found interesting and and sort of creepy were these witch hunts and they were yes they i mean many people were killed uh and or burnt at stake and 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 but the, the unusual thing about iceland is that they were only men no women were were accused accused of witchcraft Yes, that is that is, that is very much. I'm, I mean, in, I I suppose in uh, the European side of the history, there are both men and women, but it is predominantly women who who uh, are persecuted more. So so that's very unusual. Do do you have any idea of of why it was the case that only men were um, were treated in this way and not women? Yeah, I do. I, 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 there is an explanation. And the thing is, unlike the witch hunts and things in, in Europe, where people are being accused of flying on brooms and, and doing stuff that they obviously never did, people in Iceland at the time were actually trying to use witchcraft. They had these spells and things that they were trying to, uh, to sort of better their circumstances. The thing was that... Uh, at the time, Iceland was uh, under the rule of Denmark, and so we were sort of a colony, and there was no way for the, the population to to get out of the uh, out of their misery. Really, they were forced to buy from certain merchants and sell their stuff to the same merchant. So you can imagine uh, what sort of business dealings um, they were. They got bad stuff and got very little for the things they were selling. So there was general poverty and uh, and just general awfulness here. And so so what people the only thing that people that could like change their circumstances would have to be something like some sort of divine intervention, like magic. Hmm. Or magic, you know, that something had to happen that was it wasn't that they could work harder or there was nothing they could do to to make their life better, yeah. Except if they could find some magic that would change it, and so the, so people were actually trying to uh, trying to do, make spells and do do all of this stuff to, to make their life better. And and the, the and then the reason why there was only men <clears throat> is that the women were busy from morning to night, so they had no time to do any spells. So it was really it was only the men doing these magic spells. Uh, and do we find do we find much um, of that kind of tradition going on still in Iceland? I mean, we we find that witchcraft in different 
forms perhaps is still quite popular in in a, a lot of western areas um do you find the same thing still there now um no i don't think so i, I mean there was uh there was one woman who had like a witch store but it was more and there is one witch store at, at the snipers at a hotel there but that's more for just the novelty of it i don't think I don't think anybody in Iceland, not a single person, would believe in in witchcraft today. No. Sure. Um, and you mentioned earlier as well about about um, ghost stories being being a big part of of um, the traditions when you were growing up. Um, your the your your second book, uh, which is my soul to take in the in the English, um, is one of a couple, I guess, that that uses this motif of ghosts or hauntings as part of the plot. Um, yeah. Is that still a strong belief over there, or a popular belief? I think it's it's probably more predominant here than than, for example, if you live in a huge city like, for example, London. I don't know. It, I think people are more, or, or yeah, more reluctant to say that it can't possibly be true. But uh, and I did, I did talk when I wrote, the, I wrote an actual like a horror novel, and I, I was a bit worried when I was writing, and I was speaking to colleagues and people that I know, and and I, and I was kind of surprised at how many people were inclined to believe that yes this could actually be we don't know everything you know maybe maybe there are ghosts but uh, but i think it's less and less yeah with more information with um uh, more access to things through the internet and so on uh i think people are becoming less and less inclined to believe in anything that's not Proven. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair enough. Do you do you find though that that these older kind of superstitions work very well for you as a plot device in your writing? I, yes. I, I I use them quite. To, I use them actually more in in that Soda series, in my original series, and then and then I found that. Um, I, what I really wanted to do when I when I finished that series was I wanted to write like a horror novel, like a, a a book that wasn't toying around with ghosts and things, and never actually using it. I mean, there was never a ghost that was a killer, and it was more just for ambiance or atmosphere in the photo series. But I actually wanted to write like a, a horror novel, and and then I did that, and and I wrote two, one that was an like a full full horror novel, one that was kind of uh in between and then I, I found that i had sort of cleaned that out of my system for a bit and i wrote i'm right now writing a crime series that's more like an urban uh more regular crime where there's there are no ghosts yeah yeah just, just evil <laughs> there's plenty of that isn't there um and <laughs> and going back to your earlier series as well uh Another one which I guess stood out in a way, um, tying in with different aspects of folklore, um, was this idea in the Silence of the Sea of having um, what people believe to be a cursed boat. Um, yes. So did you draw on anything particular when you were 
thinking about that idea with, with other beliefs of, of things being cursed? Or was that, again, just a mechanism that you thought was quite useful? No, that, that one, uh, I mean, Iceland has, has such a huge connection with the sea. So, so a lot of our folklore, a lot of our mo- monsters and all kinds of things will somehow originate from the ocean, you know, or in the lake or a river, you know, monsters coming out of the ocean, dragging you in and, and that type of thing. So, and ghosts in the ocean. And so, so it's, uh, but, so as a child, I was absolutely, I loved the story of the Marie Celeste with a story that has nothing to do with Iceland. It, it, it's, uh, it's about a boat that I think it was, I can't remember now, but it was probably sailing in the 1700s or early 1800s, something like that. And when this boat was found, it went to pick up uh, something, sugar or something from, or something from, uh, uh, I think, South Africa or somewhere. It was sailing back to Europe. And and then it's found sailing with full mass and all of the crew, the, the skipper and his wife and his daughter, they had all disappeared from board, and there was nothing wrong with the ship. No fire, no nothing that could show why did all of these people leave the boat. So, and that's never been solved. So it's like an unsolved mystery. The Marie Celeste. It's really, I, I, I recommend it. It's very good. So this is my sort of modern day take on that that mystery. Yeah, there is a fascination, fascination, isn't there, with these these old stories that. Um, are most likely never going to be solved, and the, there's lots to play around with there. Both, both with these kind of more folkloric mysteries, um, like like the idea of a crew completely vanishing from a from a ship, uh, and also, I guess, looking at the crime side with with historic crime cases that are most likely never going to be solved. Yeah, I mean, Jack the Ripper, I suppose, is a prime example of that, but lots of others as well. People just like a mystery, I suppose. Yeah, it's very appealing, or it, it's very, no, not appealing, maybe, it, it's, but as humans, we want to know, we take things apart, we want to understand, we go all the way to the moon, you know, I mean, we're always constantly, we want to know, we want an explanation, so, so when you have these unsolved mysteries, then then they will, uh, they have a very powerful they have a very good staying power. Yes. Because this goes against the grain of our our sort of driving force, which is to understand and to know. It's unacceptable not to be able to know what happens in certain <laughs> cases. Yes, there's always a desire to find out, isn't there, even if it's never going to be possible to do so. So, so of of the um, variety of folklore which comes out of Iceland, uh, which appeals to you mostly? Which which do you find the most interesting aspect of those traditions? Um, I like the ghost stories, many of them, and, and I think that's probably some of them are the most original in a way. Uh, uh, the ones about the babies that have been left out to be exposed and die. That we have a special ghost for those kind of babies. That I, that I don't think is, I don't think you find that elsewhere. I, I like, I like the ghost stories. 
And I also like the stories about the elves and the hidden people, although I think that also is kind of disappearing from, from modern day. Yes, not, not fully, though. Not fully. No, I was just going to say, I mean, it, it, the, the belief is not as strong as it used to be. But there are still cases, aren't there, that hit the newspapers where building works are moved or prevented because of a belief in disturbing um, an area which is used by the hidden folk. Yeah, it's not, um, but, but I remember one about three, four years ago, I think. And there was a road being built somewhere in the west, in the west, uh, the northwest of Iceland. And I, and I think there was a road that was supposed to go through a like a big elf rock. And but I think that was solved not by moving the road, but there were some people that came and sort of made peace with the owls. I think they were singing or doing something to to make sort of peace with the owls about this, asking them to quiet or like kindly move so that this road could come through. But I have, I'm a civil engineer. I have worked on a project. Uh, it was probably 20 years ago, though, and, and where a pipeline was, where the, the contractor requested that, that the pipeline be shifted a little bit because his equipment kept breaking down, and he thought it was because the pipeline was about to go through. They had to move. They would have to have move a big rock, and, and, and that was no problem. The pipeline was simply moved. So you do you do still come across this from time to time, then even as you say in your own work as a civil engineer, I suppose that that is that is a prime example, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I have, I have one instance, which is twenty years ago. I, I don't I, I don't recall anything more recent than that. But but this except this uh, road in the northwest, I wasn't working on it. I just remember seeing it in the news. And I think it's also maybe disrespect for you know it, it, it's respect for heritage in a way. Yes. To, to to treat this uh, with respect, I guess. And and if someone believes it, then and, and they're not using it as an excuse to move a road like further from their own yard or something, then then I think it should be respected if possible. Is Iceland <laughs> uh, is Iceland very very rich in? Um customs and traditions as well as these older pieces of folklore i'm thinking about you know customs at particular times of the year and that sort of thing do you find a lot of that going on there there is a lot of course related to, to food there are special meals that you eat like the day before christmas a fish called skata which is fermented and smells horrible <laughs> and then in uh in an old month that used to be called Porre, which is January, February, then we have these um, bloat. it's like a feast for uh, where you're, they're eating like sheep's heads and shark and all kinds of rather unappealing food. <laughs> and and so, so most of it relates to, to I think, uh, uh, food, the most obvious examples. But then there are customs that I think you don't have that are, are I think, local and one of them would be for example i don't know if you have in the uk but i know in the us you have these bright no baby showers where, where before the, the mother gives birth you have a party and everybody gives the mother things for the baby yes it's, it's found but, found more in america than it is in the uk actually but but you do get them over here more now yeah we, we don't do that because the custom is that you're not allowed to give a pregnant woman 
anything for the baby until the baby is born and is alive. It's bad luck to, to present the mother with things for the baby before the baby is born. Ah, so do you have then a party after the baby is born of a similar style? No, no party. You just bring the gift and, and one, at, one at a time. I mean, there's no party involved. It's just, uh, you know, you would just bring it by after the mother has had a little bit of time to to sort of, yeah, until she's ready to accept visitors, yeah. I guess. But yeah. There's no party. It's just. You know, you would give your sister, your your brother's wife, your friend, that type of thing. Ah, interesting. And another custom, I think, which um, perhaps is is only found in Iceland that certainly appeals to me, and one that my wife and I observe every year, even though it's an Icelandic custom because of the nature of what we do, um, is, and again, you'll have to excuse my pronunciation, but, but what in English is the Icelandic book flood? Is it Yule yeah. uh, Book of Flood or similar? Yeah, yeah, that's a very nice one. That's a very nice one. Yeah, and it's... what it? Go on. It, it's, it, so it's customary here to give books for Christmas. So a Christmas where you don't get a book for a Christmas present is really not a very. It's a really crummy Christmas. <laughs> so, so you get books, and then you can read on 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 Christmas Eve and. You know, you know, it's dark outside, snowing. It's just such a, that's a really nice custom. Yeah, and we we do it in our house as well. We we will we will buy books for Christmas Eve, um, or set books aside for Christmas Eve if we have a particularly yeah. large to be read pile at the time, uh, and and set that aside with with chocolate and something nice to drink and just spend the evening reading uh and it, it's not a it's not a custom that i've found a lot of people over here have been particularly familiar with but every time i've mentioned it to people or i've posted on twitter that that we're doing this everybody says what yeah. an, what an amazing idea it is yeah it is and it's very peaceful and it's, it's also giving somebody a book requires you know it requires some effort to select it. You have to sort of, you know, find out what are the new books out there. What do you think this person will like? What do you think uh, is a book that might resonate with uh, that person's life and so on? So, so it's, it's, uh, yeah, you put you put effort into it, like uh, in a in a good way. Yes, and isn't it? Um the case that the a large amount of the um turnover that's enjoyed by publishing companies in Iceland is in the run up to this so from september through to december is is a big time for publishing yes it it is the time for publishers here and if you are a local author and you're coming out in hardcover then you are going to be published in october november or you're not going to be published till the following October, November. So, so nobody would take a novel by an Icelandic author, print it in hardback, and then publish it in March. Right. Because the sales are, for hardcover novels, the sales are for Christmas. But then a lot of books will come out in, 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 um, in, in pocket edition. Yes. After, after the Christmas season. Right. Yeah. So um you 
uh, say that you've moved on a little bit, perhaps, uh, from from this kind of um, horror side of your writing, and that your new series is is set more in uh, the urban crime tradition. So, does this mean that you're not going to be drawing so much on these older um, beliefs in your writing moving forward, or is this just a, a change of direction no. for a little while? No, it's just, uh, I mean, I, I'm right now, I'm writing the sixth uh, book in this um, new series, The Urban, Urban Crime. And I have decided that once I finish the sixth book, I'm going to, the book after that is going to be a, another horror novel. So, so no, 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 I haven't given it up. It's just, it's nice to make changes. It, it keeps you from stagnating and repeating yourself. So, so I've, I've I just, I didn't give up on it. I just put it to one side for a bit. So, any thoughts on where you might go with your with your next piece of horror writing? Are there still aspects of Icelandic um, culture that you would like to draw on in that way? In the next, in the next uh, horror book that I write. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have an idea, but uh, but I'm not. Uh... It's not well formed out enough to, to discuss much, but it involves a lot of snow. <laughs> okay, you can keep everybody guessing for now on that one. Yeah. yeah. Um, finally, if people would like to find out more about your work and your writing, where would you recommend that people look on the internet for, for your stuff? Oh, I see. I don't have I don't have a website or anything. I, I don't know why. I I do have a Facebook page, like an official Facebook page, which reminds me I probably haven't updated that for many months, so that's not going to be very interesting. <laughs> uh, well, I guess uh, I don't know. I, if you just put Ishta and then put an S, and then my name will come up, and and. Hopefully there'll be something good about me on the internet somewhere. <laughs> I tend not to look. <laughs> there, there, there's plenty. You you have plenty of good reviews on on the pages on Amazon for your books, uh, and and you're relatively active on Twitter as well, I believe. Yeah, I like Twitter. I'm not good at Facebook. I, I don't. My own personal Facebook page, I've kind of abandoned it, and and I'm I'm not not very good at Instagram. I put in stuff, but it's like once every three months. But I like Twitter. It's uh, it's quick and it's short, brief, and I, I don't know. I like Twitter. That seems to suit me quite well. Excellent. So if if people want to follow you on Twitter, then then we'll send everybody off in that direction. Um, and I'll I'll put a link to your Twitter page um on the website for the podcast so that everybody can can follow you in that way too. Let Let's wrap up okay. by let Let's wrap up by just saying that if if you had one piece of Icelandic folklore, one one Icelandic story that you would like to share with everybody uh, that, that you think is not something that, that people would come across very easily. What what would you tell as a story? I think it would probably, it would either be Grilla, uh, the orge or the tall woman that eats the babies, or it would be the the babies that were uh, the which is, which is the ghost of a baby that has been left in the lava field to die of exposure. 
So, so what they, they, they would be, the stories, my favorite uh, ghost story from childhood is actually about such a, a ghost. And it's a young woman who's a milkmaid on a, on a big farm and she gets pregnant, hides it because it was illegal to have a baby out of wedlock. So she has the baby, she wraps it up in a, like a sheet and takes it out and leaves it where it dies of exposure. And then sometime after, she is milking in the barn. She's crying because there's some dance going on in, uh, in the, for, the, for the farmers, like a party. Or, or, or And she's crying because she doesn't have anything to wear for the dance. And then she hears a knock on the window. And, and someone saying, I'm not, now I'm translating kind of a, it rhymes in Icelandic, but uh, I'll just, so my mother uh, in the barn, don't cry. Uh, I will give you my sheet to dance in, meaning that the baby was going to give the, his mother or her mother the bloody sheet that had been wrapped in. So she could wrap herself in that and go down <laughs> at the party. So. That's a very creepy story. It, it sounds even better with the with the poem that I I can't translate uh, like um, live. I guess. No, no, no. Of course, of course. Um. So, is is that? Do you think that is reflective of of the majority of um folk stories that come out of Iceland? Are are they all naturally dark like that? Most of them are pretty dark. Yes. Yes, they are. Why do you think you that have is? lots of stories about outlaws living in the... And these outlaws, it wasn't really clear if they were people or some kind of monsters. And I think it was just because life was very hard. Many, many of them were maybe used like as a... to try to warn people not to do things, I guess. And if they were harsh, then they would be... Jokes. I can't remember a single folk tale from Iceland that's funny. No, they're all grim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I suppose that is reflective, isn't it, of the fact that it's a harsh landscape, it's a harsh environment, and as you say, times were particularly difficult then. Yeah, yeah. And also, uh, I think, I mean, Lisa, I don't know how much of this People believed back then, I'm sure much, much more than today, but maybe some of it was just just made up like a, to, to tell people. I mean, people would, there was storytelling was quite reversed. And, uh, and, and there's nothing like telling ghost stories around a campfire, you know, in the dark. And so, so maybe also the dark stories were more, uh, put the listeners in more awe than, than funny stories, I yeah, and I, yeah, no, it's because it was just life was hard. I think that's it. I mean, it was probably very little to laugh at. Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, and as you say, you know, storytelling is reflective of the environment around you, isn't it? At the time, yeah, yeah. Excellent, Thank you so much for taking the time to to talk to me about this. It's I. Icelandic folklore, I think, is a is a fascinating area and and one that's that's not looked at perhaps as frequently as it should be. So it's it's been brilliant to take a little bit of time to just redress the balance of that today. Thank you.
Oh, you're very welcome. I wish I, I I'm not a, a scholar on the subject or anything, but uh, so this was sort of a layman's uh, look at it. Absolutely, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. And in fact, it, it's fascinating to look at the way that um, the, these stories can be used outside of the academic sphere and be used in different ways and, and the way that you incorporate them into your writing and particularly in, in something like the crime genre where you don't necessarily expect them to come up I, th I think is absolutely fascinating and may maybe also it's, uh, it's also maybe suitable because folklore is made by the people for the people it's not meant to be a subject or like originally it's not a teaching or any kind of doctrine it's a doctrine is that a word yeah it's it's uh yeah it's just stories by people for people absolutely that so, sum that sums it up perfectly i think yes i am extremely grateful to ursa for taking the time to record this interview she travels around the world extensively between writing and her other work to appear at events and so forth and I feel very fortunate to have been able to bring her onto the podcast for you. Next time, we will continue discussing Icelandic law with Caroline Lee, author of the fantastic book The Glass Woman, published by Penguin Books. I hope you can join us. See you next time. The Folklore Podcast is written and presented by me, Mark Norman. To find out more about my research and writing, visit www.facebook.com slash marknormanfolklore or on Twitter with the handle at Mr underscore Mark underscore Norman. Research assistance is provided by Tracy Norman. Visit her website at www.tracynormanswitch.com to follow her historical research and projects. The Folklore Podcast will always be free to listen to and tries to avoid annoying advertising or sponsorship messages, but it cannot sustain itself. We are grateful for the support of all of our patrons who, for as little as $1 a month, earn themselves great rewards whilst ensuring our future. For more details, please visit www.patreon.com slash thefolklorepodcast. If you cannot support us in this way, please share the episodes on your social media and leave positive reviews. This really helps the audience for the podcast to grow. Visit www.thefolklorepodcast.com for more episode and guest information, to buy from the web store, or to sign up for free newsletters or get in touch. The Folklore Podcast theme music was written and performed by Gurdy Bird. Thanks for listening.